Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Did God create human life or did we just purposely evolve? And if life existed apart from God the Creator, for what purpose? Because what we believe about creation, our origin, and whether or not there was a God creating the world, whether or not God created or we randomly evolved, that will shape what we believe about a lot of things. Hi, Alex McFarland here. Welcome to this very special edition of Truth and Liberty. Folks, we've got a great show tonight. We're going to touch on a lot of topics, and I'm so excited that we have a, a wonderful friend and colleague, Carl Kirby of Reasons for Hope. We're going to talk about apologetics. Uh, invariably, we'll talk a lot about creation versus evolution because this so matters. But in just a moment, I'll introduce Carl properly, and we'll talk about these things I do want to give the number because if you've ever if you've ever wanted to raise your hand during a sermon, tonight is your chance. This is a night you can ask any and all questions. Some of the questions I'll answer, but if they're really hard questions, I'll say, take it away, Carl. <laughs> but the number is 719-619-2341. And before we bring our guests, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who came out last night. I was doing a book signing at Crabtree Valley Mall in Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh is the capital city of my home state of North Carolina. And um, I'll show you the book later. But we had about 50 people come out. It was really great. And it got to shake a lot of hands. And Truth and Liberty viewers and listeners were there. And they said they loved the show. And they appreciate Andrew Womack and Richard Harris and all of the great people, Dwayne Sheriff and uh, the guests that we have on. Uh, we've recently had Ken Ham on and we've had Kevin Sorbo and so many great communicators. And so I want to say to all the people that watch and the audience is growing, we thank you. And it was a privilege to meet many of you last night. Well, Folks, in the context of ministry, as you might expect, some people make more of an impression than others. And really just one of our most valued colleagues in the world of apologetics, but especially in teaching young people to defend the Christian worldview. Uh, really, there, there is nobody I can think of that I have as much respect for as Carl Kirby, because he is a man of integrity, he's brilliant, he's a great defender of the faith, and he's been a great partner. In recent summers, we do youth camps together, biblical worldview camps, and he's the founder and leader of Reasons for Hope, and uh, very gracious, and I'll tell you just how gracious in a moment. But Carl Kirby, welcome to Truth and Liberty, and thanks for being with us again, brother. Alex, you blessed me for even letting me be a part of this, man. So thank you. Well, well, folks, listen to this. Talk about humility. Now, a week ago tonight, uh, I was on Truth and Liberty, and we, we had a guest that uh, was going to be on. Well, 30 minutes before showtime, 
we got a, a miscommunication from his people that, that our special guest couldn't be on. And so, you know, when you've got an hour and a half television program and your guest, you know, uh, cancels 30 minutes before airtime, you, you got to say a prayer and figure out what you're going to do. Um, so I just felt led to call Carl Kirby. Now, how humble is this? With no notice, no preparation, I said, hey, Carl, we're, we're in a jam. Would you be on? He said, when? I said, well, like right now. And he goes, absolutely. Let me boot up my studio. And then just five minutes before airtime, we heard from our previously scheduled guests that he could do it. And so we were like, Carl, hey, never mind. Now, not everybody would graciously roll with the punches, but Carl, I just want to thank you. You truly are instant, in season, out of season. You're ready to minister. I mean, you're, you're, you're a class act. And Brother Carl Kirby, we thank you. Brother, I, I tell you, you said that you had Ken Ham on recently, and he's my spiritual father. Uh, he's the guy that I trained under for 20 years. And so I used to tell everybody, look, if you want ham, it takes a year and a half. But if you want bologna, I can be there in 10 minutes. So, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> we, just, we just go do what we do, brother. It's all about ministry. And if I can help you or if I can help anybody, that's what we want to do. And that's our heart. And I see that coming from you as well. And 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 that's what we are. We're servants. Amen. I mean, so we serve. Well, well, amen. And uh, I want to get into some questions, folks, because, I mean, you think about the questions. Uh, can we take the Bible literally in what it says about creation? Uh, was there a real Adam and Eve? Was there a literal Garden of Eden? And, and what about the age of the earth? I mean, is if we read the, the Word of God, we would believe that the earth is several thousand years old. Now, the Word of Man says it's millions and billions. So Carl Kirby's going to help us get straight on these and other questions. And if you've got a question, uh, seriously, anything is on the table. Whatever your question is, whether it's a Bible question or apologetics, creation and evolution, uh, Carl and I tonight will do our best to give you a factual answer. But um, I'm going to start out, and I'm going to ask this, Carl, the, the question of creation or evolution, God or atheism, why are these questions so vitally important and the answer that we embrace, why is that so significant? Well, because of the impact that it has on us. I mean, uh, think of this younger generation that you and I have the privilege of working with, you know, every summer in our equip retreats. We have a generation out there that what Jesus will say, or with their lips, they'll say, yeah, Jesus, I'm a Christian. But with their minds, they've been so infiltrated by the world that they think like the world. You know, on that Thursday night, when we hand out that strip of paper and say, when I look in the mirror, what do I see? And they fill in the blank. And it's it's hopelessness. Where does that come from? That doesn't come from Christ. Because when you see yourself the way that Christ sees us, we are created in his image. We are his masterpiece. You know, the word used there for, for human is masterpiece. And so when we see ourselves that way, and that the fact that the one who spoke everything into existence from nothing loved us so much that he died on a cross for us, when we deserve nothing, we deserve separation from God, and he loves us so much that he would come and do that for us so that we could have a relationship with him. That changes everything. That's where our value comes from. That's where our worth comes from. But if you are nothing more than given enough time, right circumstances, nothing. Most people don't believe me when I say that. 
but evolution actually teaches it wasn't in the beginning gas. No, in the beginning, nothing turned into something to explode, to turn into everything that we see. Where does your value come from under that history? And it's simple. How pretty are you? How talented are you? How much money do you have in the bank? How well do I look compared to what I see on social media? We wonder why suicide is the number two killer of teenagers in America. I don't. They have been totally misled. They've been totally lied to, and they don't know where their value comes from. They've been so deceived by the world. And so we've yeah. got to get to the stage where they quit just seeing superficially uh, Christianity, but they see it in its entirety and how it addresses all of these issues. And that issue right there, creation or evolution, truly is at the core. It's at the base before you can go anywhere else. If you can't get that straight, it's going to be hard to get any, any of the rest straight. And, and because we were created by God, I believe what the Bible says, and I, I think there's a lot of evidence, compelling evidence, for the biblical account of creation, life's purpose. But, you know, even in the hard times when I realize, look, there's yes. a God who made me. God intentionally created us. God does love yes. us. God cares so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay for our sins on the cross. I mean, mm -hmm. even in the hard times of life, and life, life can be hard, but in a biblical worldview with a creator and a savior, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, um, yes. that's great incentive to, to trust God through the hard times of life. On the flip side, in an evolutionary model, you've got no purpose, no savior, no reason. I mean, it's, it's hard to get my heart and mind around, but it's no wonder people feel depressed and suicidal in, in a world without God, is it? Oh, amen. And, you know, what I'll do to the young folks sometimes, like just even the other night, Wednesday night, I spoke to a youth group. And uh, so I'm talking to them and they were, what's fair? And I showed the picture that's being so prominently displayed now about you know, equity, you've got the three people standing and looking at a baseball game from behind a fence and the tall guy standing on a box and the shorter guy standing on uh, two boxes and the little guy's only got one box and he can't see over the fence. So what do they do? They take the box from the big guy, give it to the little guy. So all three of them can see over the fence. Right. And you're like, so is that good? And they're like, yeah, that's right. I said, hold up. That box that you took from the big guy, that was his. He inherited it from his father. His father made that. And in the Depression, that was the only thing that they were able to carry. And you took it away from him and you didn't give him the option to give it to somebody. Is that fair? And now all of a sudden the gears start get going. And so I, I asked, uh, who in here has a cell phone? Almost every hand goes up. Who in here has to pay for their cell phone and bought their cell phone? Only one hand went up. I said, oh, who in here doesn't have one? A couple hands went up. I went to the person with a cell phone. I said, uh, can I have your cell phone, please? I took it. You see, you, you can afford to buy one and maintain one. They can't. They can't have one. So I am now going to give your cell phone to them because that's what's fair. If you don't have a biblical worldview, if you don't have a biblical understanding of equality, you are we are just going to get duped. And that's what we see going on in this world. Uh, a generation is being lied to, and they need to know the truth. Biblical faith is not blind faith. Biblical faith is just like my wife. We've been married 41 years. She tells me she's wow. going to do something. I know she's going to do it, right? Yeah. She's got a, I've got a track record with her. If I tell you I'm going to do it, Alex, you might want to double check because I'll forget, right? But she doesn't. Well, God is so much more. He gave us a historical account of what he did, how he did it, why he did it. And we see it over the years. And then he says he's going to do this. 
I have faith in Jesus Christ, not a blind faith, but because I have a track record of what he said he did, and he confirmed it and did it the way that he did, and the record around it shows that. So that's what gives me faith for the future as well. Carl, do, do you believe, and I know as, as a scholar, you're a published author, you're a broadcaster, I mean, you've spent decades researching this. So let me just ask point blank, um, Genesis 1 and 2, are hmm. we to take it literally? Oh, yes. I mean, it is written as historical narrative. I mean, I, the, the easiest way that I can put it, Alex, is that, look, did Jesus believe that Genesis was real history? Did the Apostle Paul believe that Genesis was real history? Did any of the Apostles take it? Yes, Jesus Christ quoted Genesis 25 times, and every time he quoted it, he quoted it as real history. I mean, think of the the example. As a Christian, that means we're a Christ follower. He, he He's our example. So if we want to know how to do something, we look to him. When he was questioned, he used two phrases that were very interesting. One was, have you not read? Seven times he used that phrase. The other one is, it is written. So here's this example that God gave to us, Jesus Christ, when questioned about a, uh, a divorce, what did he do? He gave a lesson on marriage. What did he do? He quoted Genesis 1, he quoted Genesis 2. He quoted Genesis 1, Genesis. he quoted Genesis as real history. And I put it like this, if my master, if my creator, if the one who was there when it all happened laid it out and had it written as historical narrative and believed that it was true, you better believe this poor pea brain can take it as such. So yes, huh. it is written as historical narrative and we can trust it. Genesis 3, the, the fall the, the serpent, mm. the garden, the tree of the knowledge yep. of good and evil. Do you believe that was literally true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, why else do we see what we see? God made it very clear by one man's sin came into the world and that by sin, death. The reason that that historical account, those first 11 chapters of Genesis, I'll cut you right off there, Alex. Yeah. Genesis 1 to 11 is historical narrative. The boat, the animals, the water, you name it, he did it the way that he said that he did. And yes, on uh, Genesis 3, where we read about the fall, that is so vitally important to understand who we are and why we see what we see in the world today. We mm -hmm. are sinners. All of us have sinned. Yeah. All of us have fallen short. And now when we run into these questions so many times, why would a loving God allow death and suffering? What kind of a mean, vicious God would do that? The only way that I humbly feel that we can address that is to take them back to the beginning. Have you not read? What did God say that he did? He created, and at the end of creation, everything wasn't just good. It was perfect. It was very good. Very no death, good. no yes. tears, no sorrows. What God wanted for us is what he gave us, which was perfection. But guess what? That same God wanted a perfect relationship with us. And in order to have a perfect relationship with us, he had to give us the opportunity to receive or reject. We're living in the time of the consequences of receiving and rejecting. When Adam said, no, thank you, and every one of us have done that as well, we are the ones that caused the death and the destruction that we see in our world today. It was not a process that God used to get us here. It's a consequence of man's action. You lose that historical account. And now if there is a God and the earth is millions of years old, then guess what? There's a God that used millions of years of death and suffering. I find brain tumors, cancer, cannibalism. I find all of those things in the fossil record. And if there's a God that used that mechanism to get to where we are today, he's not the God that revealed himself in the scripture. Right, right. Um, let, let's divide evil into two categories. There's there's moral evil. Uh, mm -hmm. Somebody steals from somebody. Somebody commits murder. Somebody tells lies. 
I, I think we understand what is moral evil, human to humans doing bad things. But let, let's talk about natural evils like tornadoes and tsunamis. Mm -hmm. And let me kind of set this up. Uh, when I was working for James Dobson 20 years ago, and there was this uh, tsunami. Do you remember that? This the Asian tsunami that killed a lot of people. Um, right. And they detected there had been an earthquake at the bottom of the ocean, and in Thailand, created this tsunami. And so uh, we were doing youth apologetics and worldview. And actually, I give God the glory, but I found myself on the BBC uh, speaking hmm. to England, got to share the gospel. But here's the question people were asking. Um, how do tornadoes and the extremes of weather and a tsunami with the ocean, um, how, do, how is that the result of human sin and the fall? Well, God said that the whole of creation groaneth and travaileth because of man's sin. It wasn't just man's death. And see, this is one of the workarounds. A lot of times people will say, well, it's just the death of man. No, God says whole of creation groaneth and travaileth because of man's sin. Well, it was just it was just a spiritual death because think about it. Adam didn't die. He, and God said, well, the day that you eat from the fruit, you're going to die. But that's a Hebrew phrase. And it's dying, you shall die. You're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die until you die. And every one of us are dying if you're still breathing. And I don't want to be morbid, but I can yeah. feel it. I mean, the older I get, I can feel I'm breaking down. It's a gradual process until one day, physically, I'm going to die. They died spiritually immediately and physically the process began. So that came about by that one man, and that impacted everything. So it wasn't just man that was impacted by that decision. Right. Well, and, and I think about this as well, that, you know, um, when the flood came, the and, mm. and I do believe in a literal global worldwide flood, just for the record. Yeah. I, I believe in Noah and the ark and a global flood. But didn't the flood, it was so cataclysmic, and catastrophic, didn't that forever change the way that this planet behaves, shall we say? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the arguments that I'll get sometimes is, or people make comments to me is that, well, you know, we know that Noah's Ark landed over in the mountains of Ararat, and that's where the Garden of Eden is in between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And like, now you need to go read scripture again, because that does not work at all. Uh, when you go to that area today, it's built up on hundreds of feet of sedimentary deposits, which would have come about as a consequence of the flood. Well, it's the same river names. Ah, but read the scripture. It's not the same. Yes, two different names, but it's not one water source and the rivers that are mentioned in the scripture. It's very different. What that really shows is that that area is not the cradle of civilization, it's the cradle of re-civilization. Yes, the ark landed in the mountains of Ararat. The people came off, the animal came off, animals came off. And when they came off, they started naming these rivers and mountains and all these things that they knew before the flood. They saw that, hey, that looks like the Tigris, that looks like the Euphrates, the same way that immigrants who come to America initially and started naming mountains and rivers and cities here, we are, these are names that came from countries that they came from. Same thing happened there. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's an important thing to understand that biblical historical account and that mm -hmm. uh, well, then when you st start looking at the world, what you see it, man, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, where do you think, uh, well, is there a place on planet earth now that scholars think would have been where the Garden of Eden was. No, it could be because think about what it was, uh, you, and you know this, Alex. It was a 
global flood. So if there's right. a global flood, what would have happened to the pre-flood world? All of that previous uh, earth would have been ripped up and redeposited. And that's why yeah. you can go eight meters from the top of Mount Everest. If, if it's five or eight. Don't hold me to that number. But it's very near the summit. And you're going to find sea creatures. You're going to find trilobites, crinoids. Oh, yeah. You're going to you're going to you're going to find these things. And so anywhere that you go on this planet, I live here in Kentucky, right? Man, we got mm -hmm. crazy fossils all over the place. I mean, I've got limestone yeah. rock in my backyard that's filled with fossils, and that's everywhere you go. The best whale fossils on the planet are found in the mountains of Peru, in Egypt. These aren't places that are known for their oceans. So the evidence yeah. is overwhelming that the pre-flood world was ripped up, redeposited, and that's why we see what we see in the fossil record today. Yeah, you know, I've hiked part of the Appalachian Trail and, you know, mm. on the West Coast where I've spent m much of my life, the, the Appalachian Mountains, I mean, there are marine fossils on all yep. of the mountain ranges. And yep. so uh, the world, and I know you and I, we could do uh, an entire show on the Grand Canyon. It was my privilege yeah, oh, yeah. back in 2014 with uh, Dr. Terry Mortensen and uh, mm -hmm. uh, is it Andrew Snelling that's from Australia? Andrew Snelling, Tom Vale, probably as well. Exactly. We went on an 11 day trip. We went through the Grand yep. Canyon and there's all of this sedimentary rock. And um, isn't that yep. rock that was laid down in water? Yep. A sedimentary it, rocks. Exactly. That's what you're going to find there. And out in the desert, marine yep. fossils, shrimp looking fossils. I mean, so uh, yeah. we could give a lot of examples, but it, it is very apparent that the world, the this earth at one time was underwater. Oh, absolutely. I used to lead those trips as well. The Grand Canyon trips, love them. Can't morally highly, uh, more highly recommend that you get in touch with a, uh, a ministry called Canyon Ministries. The guy who's Amen. running that is a guy named Nate Loper. I love yeah. Nate Loper. Tom Vale is uh, the guy who started it. He's retired. He's on the board still, but Nate Loper's doing a phenomenal job. And they'll take you down the trip. Those eleven day trips, those are phenomenal, man. If you can, if you can get on one of those, you've got to do it because when you go down there, they open the word. You look at the world around you, what you see in the world. It's very much like going to Greece or going to Israel, Alex. I think you could attest to that. When you start oh, yeah. reading the word and look at the world, what you see, it's it's like this is consistent with what Scripture teaches. It's not consistent with slow gradual processes over millions of years. The folding in strata, thousand feet of sediment folded in strata. The 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 red wall limestone at the base of it, a six foot section where there's there's nautiloids, Nautiloid Canyon, where there's six, eight foot long nautiloids that are not only laying down horizontally, but then there's some standing up vertically with all the layers built up against them. That's a polystrate fossil. That thing's not going to stand there for millions of years for all that dirt to uh, rise up and, and cover it up. This is rapid, catastrophic, and that's what the canyon screams. And I highly recommend people go. Amen. When you say polystrate, uh, this is mm -hmm. a fossil that it goes through the, the various layers that evolutionists right. would say took millions of years. And, you know, Correct. goodness. Correct. Listen, uh, growing up on a farm, I, I mean, we would see trees that would die. And mm -hmm. it w a year later, they would have been decomposed and fallen. I mean, uh, there's no way that some tree stands there for millions of years while you know, small layers of sediment ultimately bury it. So let, let me ask you this, Carl, how do fossil, fossils get created? Right conditions. It takes water and it takes mineral content. It takes something that was alive that's now dead that uh, 
the mineral content just replaces the molecules and turns it from something that was organic into inorganic material. And that can happen very quickly. Uh, there's some really neat and fun uh, instances that where people have taken and they put, there's one springs, I believe it's, I believe it's in uh, Australia. And it's very famous that people take and they put a teddy bear there, or they put a sock or they put something like that. And they put it in there. And then within a short amount of time, the mineral content is so heavy in that water that it, it mineralizes it and turns these things into fossils. And so it just takes the right conditions. Oh, wow. Wow. And uh, the, the fossils that we see, whether it be in the Grand Canyon or I've spent a lot of time in Texas, there's a canyon down there called the Paladura oh, yeah. Canyon. Have you yeah. ever examined any of that? I mean, it looks just like the Grand Canyon. And again, you see evidence of it being underwater. Um, yeah. The the We actually, I've got a piece I need to show you of uh, what is probably a mastodon tusk that we wow, found cool. in the layers of rock down there in Texas. But it's- Man, see, it's that, that's, that's way cool. Rapid burial and high pressure. Yep that fossilized yep. these things, wasn't it? Yeah, they have the one of those Grand Canyons in Hawaii as well, on the really? island of Maui, if I'm not mistaken. I was uh, I was privileged to take a trip. I think it's Maui. It runs together when you travel so much, Alex, but they've got one in Hawaii. They've got one in Australia. They've got them all over the place. What you see in this world is evidence of a lot of water uh, having a big impact in a short amount of time. And yeah, the fossils, I would tell people, man, come dig dinosaur bones with us next summer. If you go to our website, rforh.com, rforh.com, and you go under events, if you hit that, it'll have a dinosaur dig. And uh, I'm leading a trip next year. It's a three-day trip. We go out, we dig actual dinosaur bones. The first time I went out there, we found embedded in the, it's called the Hell Creek Formation. And we teach, this is what the evolutionary model teaches. This is the Hell Creek Formation. It's 68 to 70 million years old. We don't believe that, but we want to understand it so that now this is what they say. This is what the Word of God says. This is what we see. And so in that Hell Creek Formation, which is supposedly 68 to 70 million years old, we found a petrified log extending out of that those layers, right? But then we flipped it over, and I've got this on video, and underneath was at least an inch and a half, almost two inches thick of wood. It was organic material. It was not mineralized by any stretch of the imagination, you could burn it. So how can this, how could this wood last 68 to 70 million years and not rot? I have also found a number of bones. And one of the bones I took just last year down to Glen Rose, Texas, in Texas, where Dr. Carl Ball has now got three electron microscopes in place where I took my bone and they cut off very thin slices, put it under the uh, uh, electron microscopes. And I've got pictures of a bone that I found that they went through, did the slices, looked at it, and it's got organic material in there. So oh, wow. if it's organic material, if it's blood clots, that stuff can't last 68, 70 million years old. So uh, 68 to 70 million years. So again, we just have to start teaching a generation how to apply their faith in this world gone crazy. They don't want there to be a God. So one of the ways to get rid of God is to attribute to him millions of years, because now, again, if you're going to believe in a God that used millions of years of death and suffering to get to here, that's a very easy God to walk away from, much more so than a God who created perfection and gave us the opportunity to receive and reject. And it's our fault that we, that we see what we see. It's an attack well, at God's character, and I think we have to be careful. Exactly, exactly. And folks, here, the answer, we're going to talk more about apologetics and specifically creation versus evolution apologetics. 
But the problem with the world is sin. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his son to be our savior. I want to say to everybody listening, this is pretty heady, cerebral stuff, but here is something we want you to absolutely grasp, that God loves you and Christ died Amen. for you. And we often say this, that Jesus is as close by as a prayer. And so don't forget that. If you, if you do need spiritual help tonight, the number to call for prayer and somebody will speak with you and from God's word, give you God's answer. That number, 719-635-1111. If you want to ask a question of Carl Kirby and myself, that number, the number for questions, 719-619-2341. Stay tuned, folks. Truth and Liberty is back after this. More with our guest, Carl Kirby. Don't go away. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We teach biblical worldview. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. There's no better place on earth to get equipped than Karis. You know, God's not done with us. He's not done with America, and He's not done with you. So many people come into practical government school and they're scared because it's the mountain of government. But you know what? They come out so strong and that is so amazing. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here with our very special guest, Carl Kirby of Reasons for Hope. We're talking about apologetics. We're going to get to your questions here in a moment. By the way, if you have a question, the number to call with your question, and it doesn't necessarily have to be on creation. It could be on anything, and Carl and I will do our best to give you an answer. But that number is 719 619 2341. Hey, I do want to remind you that Truth and Liberty is supported by viewers like you, and it is making such a difference. We talk about biblical worldview. We talk about politics and the culture. We talk about issues like apologetics and the battle for the mind and the soul of people everywhere. And so if you would go to the website, truthandliberty.net slash donate, truthandliberty.net slash donate. Now, if you would make a commitment to be a, a partner with us, and a partner is defined as somebody that gives at least $5 or more per month, and you'll get the emails. I've got two editorials that I've just written, one of which I've submitted, uh, Richard Harris and myself and Andrew Womack and all of the content creators. Uh, in my opinion, some, some of the best minds out there speaking about the world through the lens of God's Word. You'll get all of that, and we want you to become a partner. So go to truthandliberty.net 
and you pray about becoming a financial supporter of this vital work. Well, we're going to continue on with Carl Kirby, our guest tonight. We're going to take our first caller uh, from New Jersey, Rocco from New Jersey. Hey, man, thanks for calling, and we welcome you as our first phone call tonight on Truth and Liberty. What you got, Rocco? Hey, Alex, thank you. So my question is, how do we engage with Christians who are reluctant and timid in their beliefs? So I've been hearing this phrase, I don't want to impose my beliefs on others quite frequently on campus. And in fact, I had a conversation with a professor who noticed me reading my Bible, and he shared that he's a Christian as well. Uh, He even offered to help me find a good church if I didn't already have one. And it's interesting because he mentioned that many people don't know he's a Christian since he prefers not to impose his beliefs on others. So how should we respond to that? Mm. Carl, what do you say? <laughs> you know, it's an interesting thing, Rocco, and I appreciate you really taking the time to call in. That's it, it's very encouraging. It's an interesting thing that we think that by our silence, we're being kind. And I'm going to say it's the exact opposite. By our silence, we're not being kind. We're actually, that's probably the most hateful thing that we can do. Mm. I, I mean, think of it like this. I do a talk called 10 Things in Evangel- uh, I Learned on Evangelism from an Atheist. And the atheist is a guy named Penn Jillette. No, many people know who he is, the illusionist, very famous illusionist, sure, sure. very good illusionist, right? And years ago, he did a video of uh, an experience that he had with a gentleman that came up to him, gave him a Bible, shared Jesus with him. And after the show, after he got that Bible, he just did a, a selfie video talking about what had happened. And as I watched that many years ago for the first time, I was like, my, I was convicted because I learned 10 things on evangelism. And one of the points that I make to people now is that true love is not willing to pat somebody on the back and tell them they're okay when they're living a lifestyle. If I truly believe that God's word is true and that we're going to be held accountable for our actions and that there is a heaven and that there is a hell, and somebody's living a lifestyle that's going to separate them from a holy God for all eternity, and I don't want them to be mad at me or get you know feel hurt or anything, so I pat them on the back and tell them they're okay. Pendulette said point blank, and this changed my whole perspective. Quote, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe in everlasting life and not tell them about it? Unquote. And so I would say that Christians have been duped into thinking that by being polite and meek and mild and and not imposing our views on anybody, we think that's kind. And I would say that's not being kind. We need to Mm. love people enough that we are willing to share the truth now in love with meekness and fear. I hope you don't hear me saying to come across as a belligerent, ignorant jerk. That's not the case. But how are they to hear without a preacher? And we as Christians, every one of us, are preachers of the gospel in a good way or bad way. And I want to encourage the body of Christ to start being a preacher in a good way. And that means to be out there sharing the love of Christ, not only in actions, but in words. If, uh, you know, one of our uh, debunked videos that we have, you know, we talk about, you know, how are you to know... Oh, thank you. How are you to know? Your mother wants you to paint the the right side of the wall in the in your uh, in your garage red, but she doesn't leave you any instructions. How do you know what you're supposed to do? You need instructions. You need to hear the truth, and so that's what we have. We have the truth, and we speak it in love. And so, Rocco, I I, I don't try to. I'm not trying to be belligerent or ignorant, but boy, I think we need to speak the truth more boldly. 
We do. And Rocco, let me just say this, that um, in the New Testament, the, the assignments given to disciples, and if yeah. somebody's a born-again Christian, they're a, they're a follower of Jesus. I think about uh, the, the little one-chapter book of Jude that says we are to earnestly contend for the faith Amen. once delivered to the saints, Jude verse 3, and, and to present, explain, defend. You know, I think about in Acts 9.22 and Acts 17, the Apostle Paul has said he dialogued and debated with the religious leaders and the philosophers, alleging and proving that this Jesus is the Christ or the Savior. And so, you know, we read Mark 16, 15, proclaim the gospel mm-hmm. to every creature. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, Jesus said, go into all the world. Now, um, the, the way it's worded, it's called the imperative tense. In other words, it's, it's really a command. And so, listen, I'm probably the most shy, introverted guy ever. But when I got saved, I was 21. I was in college. This is a long time ago. But I knew my buddies were going to hell. Uh, Carl, I knew all of my guys at college that I hung out with, as far as I knew, not a one of them was born again. And mm-hmm. I was very shy. It was not my habit to get out of the comfort zone but I yep. just, I had to talk to them about their soul. And then as yeah. I grew as a believer, I was reading in the Bible and I, I realized that my Lord expects me to talk to people. And Amen. Rocco, I, I guess I would just say that um, it, it's really not that hard to be used by God to lead somebody to salvation. Now, it's sometimes it's awkward Lord knows it's clunky. I, I've never been the most articulate spokesperson for the gospel. But if I could become a soul winner, anybody could. And I just want to encourage you. Thank you for caring about evangelism to everybody yeah. watching. Present, explain, defend. Everybody can share John 3.16. Present the gospel. As you, you'll become more and more skilled at explaining. Well, Here's what happened. God loves us, but we fell into sin. So Jesus came. And then, Carl, this is where apologetics is. Well, I guess I'll ask you, present the gospel, explain the gospel. Carl, what does it mean to defend the gospel? Give an answer for the reason for the hope that lies within us. And that's a commandment from God that we, that we do that. You know, Alex, and I have, to, I have to disagree with you on one point. You do an amazing job of sharing the gospel at the camps. When I see you, that talk that you give just before you're finished, like your last talk, when you lay the gospel out for those young people and you tell the story of the the, the ticket and all that sort of a thing, brother, you nail that. And it makes sense and they understand it. And that's, to me, what that give an answer for the reason for the hope that lies within us means, to be able to give a logical, rational answer why we believe what we say we believe. Our ministry, our tagline is when it comes to our faith, we need to know it, live it, and share it. So it's the same kind of a thing that you've got right there. But what I mean by that is we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. But you can have all the answers in the world and be totally worthless, totally worthless to the the kingdom. I know a lot of smart people that are worthless in the kingdom. Because their life and their lips aren't in sync. So you got to know it, you got to live it. But guess what? You can have all the answers, live a perfect life, and still be worthless. Because if you never get to the point where you share Jesus, and that's what I struggle with as well. I am as much an introvert as you are, Alex. I do not like talking to people that I don't know. But when the Lord changed me, it's one of these things that we have to do this. And so I, I don't mean to come across 
uh, harsh or anything to Rocco, uh, I encourage you, my brother, to to take the calling seriously, as you've heard from Alex, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's a gift that we have. That's a wonderful opportunity that we have. And I think we're selling out, are selling ourselves way short of the blessings that we can have by not doing it. Yeah. The number, if you've got a question for Carl Kirby or myself tonight, could be about any subject, but we're really talking about apologetics quite a bit. But the number is 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. Rocco, we appreciate your call. Did you have anything else you wanted to ask Carl? Oh, no, that's perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. God bless you. God bless you. Blessings. You, you know, um, Carl, I, I got to tell you, when when I first became a believer, I was going to college. I was 21 years old. I was driving a delivery truck. And, you know, I, I was very introverted and pretty quiet. I didn't talk to much of anybody. But the thing is, when you know Jesus, suddenly you realize everybody out there, they either have Jesus or they need Jesus, right? Right. And at school right. and on my delivery route, you know, I would just be on the road talking to people. And um, little by little, uh, I began to share Jesus with people. The The thing for me that kind of, it was like the Holy Spirit had to elbow me like, Alex, come on here. Um, yep. But I, I made a stop. I was driving a delivery truck and this guy, uh, one of my customers, he just looked very sad. He seemed very depressed. And I said, um, how you doing? And this was way out of character for me, but I asked him, I said, uh, have you thought about turning your life over to Jesus Christ? And he looked at me, and the guy was probably 20 years older than me. I'm like 22 years old. He probably was, you know, in his 40s. But he looked at me. I said, have you ever thought about turning your life over to Christ? He said, I don't know how. And uh, I began a very awkward, circuitous <laughs> yeah. attempt to explain the gospel. And the man prayed and asked Christ into his life. And when we prayed Amen. this prayer, he looked up, he actually looked different. And he, and he had this big Amen. smile. And folks, here's what I'm saying. God can use you to bring people to faith in Christ if you're yes. willing, if you're willing. Yes. And Carl, um, isn't it true? There, there's just nothing more important that, that we could do with our time. Yeah. Hey, and I'll tell you what, here's something that we also offer. If folks download our app, all you have to do is go to your app store and, and search for R-F-O-R-H. Very simple. Look for the blue asterisk on the black background. Download it. It's free of charge. But then scroll down to the bottom, and it says there's a tab that has merch. I'm not selling you. You hit merch, and then inside there, there's a tab that says free PDFs and booklets. And one of the booklets in there is seven ways to share your faith without feeling like a goof. And it's just uh -huh. practical ways of starting conversations and, and sharing the gospel with people. But you're absolutely correct. The greatest blessing, I'll tell you, one of the really big stories from my life that I, that started me on this catalyst of wanting to see this happen was my very first ministry trip when I was up in Canada. And we went into a place that was... Um, the. the it was tough, man, because when we got there, the, the team that had set everything up was not getting along with our team, and there was bickering. And I just remember, this is my first trip in ministry. I go over and I sit down, I just started praying because it was like, wow, this shouldn't be like this. We're brothers in the Lord, right? But after it got going, everything started running smooth. But at one point, these three young ladies came up to the speaker and said, 
you know, she had one girl, the other two were standing there watching the one girl pounding question, question, question. And the speaker was like, look, we've got to keep the ministry, uh, the, this thing going. So I said, hey, let's go over here into the side room. Boy, in today's world, I could end up in jail for doing this. But we went over to the side room and then the lead speaker and I and these three girls went into this room and she's asking question, asking question. And finally, the, the the lead speaker was just nailing the answers, nailing the answers, using apologetics in an amazing way. And finally, this girl, she's just she wouldn't look us in the eyes. You know, she's looking down, talking. She finally says, you don't understand. I am so bad. God could never forgive me. And mm. that's when that other speaker looked at me and said, Carl, um, tell her your story. And I was able to share my story because I have a very bad background as well. And that young lady started to tremble, Alex. She started to tremble and and we put a chair and she just sat down. That young lady turned her life over to the Lord right there. The next Amen. day, I didn't see her the rest of the night, but the next day she came up and her total countenance was different. This was a totally different young lady. That's the power that we have through the gospel of Christ. He takes dead, sad, and turns it into living. And so why would we never want to be a part of that? I just encourage Christians, it's not about you. It's about being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe that he died for you, you should be willing to live for him and speak for him. Amen. Uh, we're talking with Carl Kirby of Reasons for Hope. Carl and I, along with other staff and colleagues, will be leading quite a number, probably six youth camps next summer. The website of our camps and kids, oh my goodness, kids love it. Middle school, high school, over the last 25 years in the camps that, that I do, the camps that Carl does, the camps we do together, I can promise you, all your youth are going to be asking is, oh my goodness, when is next year? They love it. Hundreds and hundreds of kids we've been in front of. And the website for our camps is equipretreat.org. And Carl, let me just say, I know you and I work hard on these youth worldview camps. They are so yes. affordable. Uh, there, there's a lot of camp options out there. And I know some can oh, yeah. be in the, the, the many thousands of dollars. Folks, we, yeah. we raise money. It's, it's just, I don't know, $375 to $400 very affordable. And uh, let me let me just say, would you like the youth in your life, the teenagers in your life, would you like them to solidly know what it means to be a Christian? Would you like them to be confident in their walk and know how to read the Bible and study the Bible? The other thing, we talk about being a, a citizen, not just being yeah. a Christian and on, on our way to heaven, although that's part of it, of course, but we talk about bearing fruit and being uh, the life down here, whether you go into education or business or medicine or law or just uh, whatever field of endeavor or ministry, of course. But we talk to kids about the fact that your biblical worldview touches everything about your life and your priorities. Yeah. So the website is equipretreat.org. Summer of 24 is coming up. It'd be a great Christmas gift to send a a kid to camp. Carl, the way I say it about our camps is I tell parents, youth, I'll say, look, invest a week that will count for a lifetime. And it really, really does, doesn't it. it? I love it. Absolutely. And you know, it's a, a very encouraging factor to me as well, Alex, is that after last year, especially the leaders, we had so many leaders that came up to us and said, man, you were pouring into me because so many of the leaders 
haven't really been trained into dealing with these types of things. And and when parents tell me, I, I, I've literally had, I, I've literally had parents tell me, oh, what, what are you talking about? And I tell them, they're like, oh, please don't talk about that. My child's going to be calling me on Tuesday wanting to come home. And it's like, I don't think so. We have never yeah. had that problem. <laughs> As a matter That's of fact, true. out of all the teaching sessions, we have a lot of teaching, but we have a lot of fun too. We do the fun stuff. We don't cut that out. We have optional ones, right? We have the optional talks that people can come to. And we never have less than a third of the kids that come back for the optional talks because they're so fired up because we're talking about real things. And the 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 speakers that we have are are good. I mean, they're they're good. They're people that love these kids. That's that to me was probably the most encouraging comment I heard over and over again from these young people. They love us. And you know they love us. They're they're not afraid to mm -hmm. tell you that. They show it to you. They demonstrate it. So, guys, I would highly encourage you to take a look at the uh, equip retreats and and get your kids there. The number is seven one nine six one nine two three four one. Carl, I, I want to change gears and uh, I want to read a scripture, and then I want your okay. take on the scripture. Now, now, folks, there's a word I learned in high school: uniformitarianism. Now, that's a big 85-cent word. I'll come back to that word. But in 2 Peter 3, it, it says this, uh, 2 Peter 3, 3. And Carl, I want you to tell us what we're hearing here. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But for this, they are willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And Peter goes on and says that the present heavens and earth are being kept, in other words, sustained till the time that Christ returns. But um, Carl, what is this here that they say, everything has continued on as we see since the very beginning. Is that a biblical reference to what I was taught in secular school about uniformitarianism? Absolutely. I think it's a direct uh, attack at it, saying that this is what the world's going to tell you, that this is just the way it's always been. It's going to keep going on. And, and another word for it is and at least a piece of it is evolution. I mean, mm. things are just going on and on, dragging on and on, and you have these little uh, bits. But what God tells us is, nope, that's not, not that's what the scoffers are going to tell you. But let me tell you what I really did. And that's why then we can go back to Genesis and read that historical account of what he did, how he did it, and and, and quite frankly, why he did it. So yes, I think you're absolutely correct that uh, that is uh, saying that uniformitarianism is a tool that's going to be used to get people to doubt God. And boy, howdy, is it not being used that way? I mean, 50 to 88% of the young people raised in the church are gone by the time they're age 18, and 80 to 85% of the Christian homes send their children to government schools to be trained by the world. And what do they learn? A history that says just that, that things are just going on and on and on, slow, gradual processes. No. <laughs> yeah. There's a different history, and God's history makes a whole lot more sense. Um, do, do you think evolution, uh, Darwinian evolution, and in eight, 1859, when Darwin published On the Origin of Species, um, you know, he wasn't the first. Other people had hinted exactly. at evolution. 
But Carl, I got to tell you, um, I've often said, I think this is the second worst thing that ever befell the human race, second only to the fall of Genesis 3. Um, I think the ripple effect of Charles Darwin has uh, thrown gas on the fire of atheism, secularism, sexual deviancy, sexual immorality. And look, I I know there's always sin and there's always temptation, but um, I really think godless atheistic evolution has, has put more people in hell than just about any other philosophy or idea that's ever hit the human race. I mean, am I overstating it, Carl? Here's, here's what I would tell folks to do. Do a simple uh, exercise. Go do some research. More people have been killed in the name of religion than anything else. Okay. Uh, how many people will care? Just go do the research. You take every biblical atrocity, and by the way, I must say this, but for the sake of argument, I'll, I'll attribute all of the atrocities that we go back in history that are quote-unquote Christian wars and all that. Okay, let's say Christians actually did them, but I'm going to say this. You know, people can say Jesus with their lips, but not truly know him, and they're not obedient to what he calls us to do. So a lot of those atrocities in the past were not done by Christians. They were done by people saying Jesus, but not knowing Jesus. But anyway, for the sake of argument, let me say that every Christian atrocity, every Christian war, tally up those numbers. Not one is acceptable, not one, but for the sake of argument, you got those numbers. And then start looking at uh, another worldview. Let's take a worldview of Mao Zedong. Let's take a worldview oh. of Stalin. Let's take the worldview of Lenin. Let's take, take any one of those. And then how many people died under that philosophical regime? And there were philosophical implications from those. How many people died under those systems? You take one of them, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, anyone just by themselves, and it is more than 30 times more than every quote-unquote Christian atrocity ever. Because, Mm. yes, worldviews have impact. And as we said at the beginning, if you believe that there's a God that created you the way that he said that he did, you're created in his image, that means that person that I'm looking across from that I don't really like right now because they're knuckleheads, they're Mm. still God's image bearer, and I should be respectful of that. You're going to treat people different than if, you know what? There is no God. Strong are going to survive. That's why I go to that young person that's got their phone and I take it from them and say, thank you for hanging on to my phone. No, that's my phone. No, it's mine. You're weaker than me. I'm stronger than you. I'm the teacher. You're the student. Sit there. Be quiet. Thank you for hanging on to my phone. Because Mm -hmm. you see, what I see is that many times non-Christians want the Christian morality, but they don't want the Christian God. I am not going to allow them to have the Christian morality without the Christian God. The reason we can call things evil and wrong and bad is because there is a God who told us what's good. But if you don't have that standard, then every man can do that which is right in their own eyes. And I think I read that somewhere, and I think that's what we see in our world today. Well, Carl, I think it's no accident that, you know, it's been said the 20th century was the bloodiest century in world history. I mean, yeah. you you had early in the 20th century, you had a Russian revolution. And of course, during the decades of the USSR, the Soviet Union, under Stalin and Lenin, yeah. I mean, there were so many people killed, uh, many Christians, but just many people, you know, that were Absolutely. the victims of genocide under Russian atheistic communism. And you mentioned Chairman Mao in China, and then, Mm -hmm. of course, Adolf Hitler. And I've done a lot of study on World War II, Carl. And um, 
even secular history books will say that it was Darwinian evolution that really in the mind of Adolf Hitler, they believed in survival of the fittest, uh, Jews and non-Aryans were less fit, and it, it was Darwinism yep. that really in, in Hitler's mind validated, okay, let's do this. We're, we're validated in killing off people that aren't yes. part of, quote, the master race. Now, here's my point. Um, I really think what uh, the, the, the juggernaut that Darwin and evolution initiated in the mid-19th century is a big part of why the 20th century was so, so full of death. Amen. And you know, it's uh, very sad when you start looking at it, and uh, it's an ugly history. But if you start looking at like uh, the abortion clinics and all the things that we have in our countries, where did they come from? From the teaching of eugenics. And where did eugenics begin? In Germany with, no, not in Germany, in America. In America, the Rockefellers funded, yeah, the Rockefellers funded so much of the eugenics movement, which means that there are some races better than other races. Essentially, that's all it's it's teaching. It's a Darwin's yeah. Descent of Man book, right? Well, yeah. we took and we were the ones that were promoting the eugenics and teaching it. And then Hitler took it and actually implemented it. And we in America were were the, the academics were touting how good this is. Look, they're actually doing something with it. It's an ugly study. And I, I don't like talking about it, but sometimes I think we have to. And I, I use that when I talk about my, and my race talk, because look, if you want to deal with critical race theory, if you want to deal with the hatred, how do you get the Palestinians and the Israelis to come together to, to get, to have peace? There's only one way. And Christ told us through him, there is no slave. There is no free. There is no Greek. There is no Jew. The only way you can get two diametrically opposed individuals and philo uh, philosophical ideas to come together is through Jesus Christ to become one. And that's the answer, and that's what we have to get back to. The voice you're hearing, folks, is Carl Kirby of Reasons for Hope. He is our guest tonight on Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. So honored that you're watching. We've got a brief break, and we're going to come back and take more calls and questions. By the way, if you have a question, the number is 719-619-2341. 719-619-2341. I want to thank everybody that came last night to my book signing, my brand new book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. It's the follow-up to this book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers. It's available everywhere you buy books. Stay tuned. We're going to come back with more Truth and Liberty after this. Don't go away. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. 
Have you been praying about how to make your business your mission field? GospelTruth.tv Business features leadership and financial stewardship training from industry experts. Learn the next steps to building wealth and using it to grow God's kingdom. Tune in Saturdays to GospelTruth.tv Business and watch anytime with GospelTruth.tv Premium. Visit GospelTruth.tv today for biblical teaching you can trust. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here talking with Carl Kirby. Hey, we have lines open. If you want to get a question in, you will get through 719-619-2341. Carl, I got to show you something. Now, I've got a second edition of Origin of the Species, and I was going to bring it. Yeah, um, it was given to me. Somebody found it in their grandparents' books. Um, and in a way, I almost want to burn it, but nah, it is kind of a rare book. Keep that. Yeah. But um, I've got it packed away. But I brought another book to show you. Years ago, I bought a box of books for like a a dollar. It was like two dozen old Christian books. This book is called Apologetics, and oh I love the subtitle. Now, now this is 1892, folks. Wow. Uh, Apologetics, or here's the subtitle, or Christianity Defensively Stated. And the topics, listen to this, uh, does God exist? Does absolute truth exist? How do we know that Jesus is deity, God incarnate? Then there's another chapter on how do we defend that the Bible is God's Word? Interestingly, uh, 1892, an apologetics book. Um, there's a whole section, how to respond to Mohammedans. Now, mm. those would have been Muslims. But Carl, here's the thing. This book, and I, I handle it gently because it's kind of fragile. Yeah, but yeah. 1892, and my goodness, this would, of course, be 100 years before Josh McDowell, Ken Ham, <laughs> You know, all of our colleagues, Uh, but does God exist? Does truth exist? Is Jesus the risen Son of God? Is the Bible the true Word of God? What about Islam versus Christianity? Carl, isn't it interesting that um, the questions are largely still the same, aren't they? Yeah, it's very interesting because what I have found is that you're going to find about five to 10 questions that have remained the same. Uh, I'm surprised death and suffering wasn't mentioned in there because that's a perennial. Uh, That's, you know, that's usually within the top three questions asked. And what I'm also seeing, though, is that this new generation is asking questions differently because of something very interesting. Like I used to be within... uh, uh, I used to be prepared to within five questions on a radio program, a, a live call in thing. It'll be, well, where did Cain get his wife? I haven't been asked where did Cain get his wife in like uh, three, oh, yeah. three to four years because yeah. now what we have is a biblically illiterate culture. They don't know who Cain is. And so now a lot of the questions that I'm getting from younger generation, they'll they'll keep with the ones like you mentioned right there. But then mm-hmm. there's more of them like, like our book series that we did, Did Jesus Commit Suicide? And 27 questions that teens ask that adults, want, uh, adults need to know too. Because they're asking questions like that. If suicide's a sin, did Jesus sin because he committed suicide? Transgender, gay, all that stuff. They weren't dealing with that in the 1800s. So uh, we're seeing 
a bunch of new areas, but there is there are there are the perennials like the top five right. ten that are there that are always there. Well, and do you know there's a section in this book from 1892, um, the Christian view of sin. And here's yeah. the question, is man fallen and what are the implications of the fall? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I think they probably get into that, but uh, yeah. I, I really think I'd, I'd that— I'd love, I'd love to read that, Alex. I really would. I'd love to read that. i, I got to try and see if we can find like a Kindle copy or something like that. You know, one of the old online, they have the old uh, classic books. have to try yeah. and find that. I, you know, I, and maybe it's public domain. I would love to get it transcribed and put it out there. But, yeah. but here's my point. Apologetics. Here's a book from 1892 of that title. Folks, you may be new to apologetics. Carl, earlier in the program, you mentioned 1 Peter 3.15. that says, mm-hmm. set apart Christ as Lord in your heart and be ready always. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks a reason for the hope that you have even though it may be new to some Christians today, really apologetics goes all the way back to the New Testament, doesn't it? Yeah, I found uh, the, I can't remember it off the top of my head. You're so much better than I am at remembering things. That's why when I do my presentations, I have so many pictures because my pictures remind me. And my talk on the resurrection, there's no evidence for the resurrection, debunked. Um, the first apologetic book that I found goes back within about a hundred years of Jesus's resurrection. Um, I can't remember the title of it, but I could get it to you later, but that's how far back apologetics I've been able to find is within a hundred years of Christ's resurrection. Yeah. And and folks, let me mention a book. There's a a book by a man. He's in heaven now. L is one of these guys, an initial, the letter L. L. Russ Bush it was published by Zondervan. It's called Classical Christian Apologetics, and he li- he lists a number of the um, uh, w- was it Trifo against Celsus, uh, but there were a number in the second Celsus. century. Yes, that's the book. That's the apologetic book. The first yeah. one uh, arguing against. Yeah, yep. That that folks, it's amazing. Nineteen hundred years ago. They were defending that Jesus is the risen Son yes. of God. Yes, he died yes, yes. for you That's and it. you and me. And so um, you're right. In this modern world, we've got some new questions, transgenderism yeah. and such. But folks, we can, as I said, now think about it, present, explain, defend, present, explain, and if need be, we can defend the Christian faith. And what a joy it is to be able to do that. Well, we're going to have to, Alex, yeah. Alex, I have to, I, before you go to the, to this next piece, I got to tell you, you scared me there for a second. Yeah. Got this writer that lived a long time ago, L. Ron Hubbard. Boy, I, I was like, when you got that L and you started oh, with that R, uh, you kind of scared no. me. <laughs> not, not the founder of Scientology, L. <laughs> Russ Bush. Yeah. Uh, he was a great Christian scholar, but um, oh my goodness, we, we could do a whole show on refuting Liz, if you think Darwinian evolution is a fairy tale, you need to hear the just ludicrous melodrama that is Scientology. It's just crazy, isn't it? Just watch John Travolta's movie that was like the worst movie ever made. <laughs> did, did he make a movie about Scientology or something? Yeah, he made the, the whole history, the, the whole supposed history, uh, alien movie, and it was like, 
it was really really bad i can't remember the title but i remember like uh i got like zero tomatoes or something like that I don't know. oh bad. my word wow <laughs> well we're gonna go back to the phones linda in south carolina uh linda thanks for holding and welcome to truth and liberty with our guest carl kirby thank you this may be a very simple question i've heard multiple answers for it but when you're talking to children, especially those who are in the dinosaur, um, they just are fascinated by them. If there were dinosaurs on the ark, I mean, we know they're living because we found their skeletons. But if there were dinosaurs on the ark, why didn't they survive? Why did we not have them today? Miss Linda, it's a it's a great question. It's a common question. And it's really one that the younger generation still does care about dinosaurs. Uh, they did survive, and we we have actual uh, a record even in the scripture that they survived. The word the, there's a word in uh, in Hebrew called tanin, t a n n y n, and it's translated numerous ways in the in the scripture. And one of the ways that to me is like there's a bunch you can go through, but the one that to me is the most apparent and the most clearly understood to be a dinosaur is in Job chapter forty. You read about behemoth, and behemoth was the largest. Uh, a land animal that got one of the largest land animals that God created. It had bones like uh, bronze tubes. It had a big stomach um, and it had a tail like a cedar tree. Now, I really struggled uh, to understand that growing up in uh, my senior, my uh, high school years. I was in uh, in Virginia, in the hills of Virginia. One of my jobs that I still want to file a lawsuit for child abuse over was I got paid $2 an hour to do farm work. And I had to cut down like foot and a half tall cedar trees with pruning shears because we didn't have the cool mechanized things back then. So I'm mm. I'm walking over the hills of Virginia with pruning shears, cutting these things down uh, so they wouldn't get caught up in the hay combine. And that was my only understanding of a cedar tree. Well, cedar trees are massive. I got to Japan. We were going over a mountain one time, and I got into this forest that I couldn't see the top of the trees, and I couldn't wrap my arms around them. And I asked the guy, I said, what kind of a tree is that? That's a cedar tree. Well, that's the animal uh, that is described in Job for behemoth. It could drink the River Jordan up at flood stage, mm. at flood stage, and not even think about it, right? So that is very clearly an, uh, an apatosaurus, a sauropod dinosaur of some type. And when you look at the bones of a sauropod dinosaur, that's exactly the way that they look. They were so massive, they couldn't be uh, solid uh, like a hippopotamus bone or else it had been so heavy, they couldn't even move. So it, they're literally like they have a ring on the outside of the bone that looks like it makes it look like a bronze tube. They had the massive tails. Now, Job lived after the flood. So this is an animal that had to have gone onto the boat. Then it came off of the boat, survived for a while. Why don't we see him today? Because pre-flood world, post-flood world are two totally different environments. They died out. We didn't start our mm -hmm. extinction programs in time. You know, you go to every zoo, they have an extinction program going on. Well, we didn't start them in time, so the dinosaurs died out. How'd they fit them? Boy, we could go for like a whole hour and a half, two hours on that whole thing. But the largest dinosaur egg ever found was no bigger than a football maybe a hair bigger. So even the massive sauropods at one time were extremely small. If you're going to repopulate a planet, trust me, you're not taking me, you're taking my grandchildren. They're smaller. They're going to take up less space. They're going to take up less resource to survive. And they're going to have a whole lot more energy. 
I don't have it anymore. So they would have taken the smaller ones. And so they would have fit at one point because even the large ones were small at one point. They came off the boat. They lived. They grew. How'd they get big so quick? This is a really crazy thing that I just found within the last year and a half. A secular report how by studying the bones of the dinosaurs, they went through this massive growth spurt over the period of about eight years. So I literally in my talk on dinosaurs show here's how big the animal at three years old would have been, about the size of a... Uh, say a horse, during the year that it was on the ark, it would have come off about the size of an elephant. And then within eight years, it would have been to full grown. And um, it's it's just crazy. And that's using the secular research. So there are answers on how dinosaurs would fit, how they could survive, uh, all that kind of a thing. And I don't, I, I'd highly encourage you to just go do some digging because there's some really good resources out there on the dinosaur issue. Uh, Carl, is there is there a book that you especially recommend about uh, a biblical response to the enigma of dinosaurs? Yeah, I'd tell you to look up, uh, go to answersingenesis.org. You had mm -hmm. Ken Ham on here. Uh, like I told you, he's my spiritual father. Uh, if yeah. you go to answersingenesis.org, do a search and there for dinosaurs in the Bible. There's They've got some really good books on it. Um, and some videos as well. If you do a, a YouTube search for for me, Carl Kirby, and uh, Jurassic Parker Jesus, that's a that's a dinosaur talk that I give. You'll find it somewhere. I don't have a real good quality one of it, or I'd have it up on the app. I try to put just really good quality stuff up on the app. But I know somebody has recorded me giving that talk somewhere, so you'd be able to get the glean the information from uh, from the talk at least. And that's just a YouTube search, Carl Kirby, Jurassic Park, or Jesus. Who knows more? Uh, Linda, thank you for that excellent question. Carl, yeah. let me ask you something this. Um, okay, Noah and his family get off of the ark. The floodwaters yeah. abate. What would the earth's climate uh, have, have been like in the aftermath of the flood? And that's, uh, that's an interesting one. That is the mechanism by which you can get the Ice Age. Uh, do we believe that there was one? Absolutely. It fits with what Scripture teaches because you would have had, instead of now having a worldwide uh, climate that would have been the same wherever you went, now you're going to get into where you've got hot spots and, and cold spots and that type of a thing. And so the northern areas where you have the colder temperatures, what would have happened? Well, you've, in order to have an ice age, you can't just have it getting cold because if it gets too cold, you have no evaporation to get precipitation, right? So mm. in order to get an ice age, you've got to have cool temperatures, but you've got to have warm water because now the warm water gives you the evaporation so that you get the precipitation and the precipitation comes down as cold and stays there and builds up as ice. And so that is the mechanism that the flood gives us because the fountains of the deep breaking open underwater volcanic activity, uh, increasing the temperature of the oceans uh, so that now you've got the evaporation. Now the, the climate has changed so much drastically that now you have the cold regions. And so you see the ice building up and coming down to, you know, North, northern tips of America and a little bit further and that type of an area, and then it recedes. So yeah, it would have totally changed the climate, totally changed it uh, because again, fallen world, and that's unfortunate. And, and so dinosaurs that would have been on the ark might've lived mm -hmm. after disembarking, but right. during those climate extremes in the aftermath yep. of the flood, they would have died out and mostly- exactly. Are extinct. Exactly. Think of those large sauropod dinosaurs, how much food it would have taken for them to survive. So they could have survived in the very tropical environments. Well, now you don't have as many of those tropical environments. So 
they don't have the same food sources. So they starve out, they die out uh, over time. Uh, they get hunted. They get killed off because now what's man like to do? When man goes out and hunts, you know, what trophy do we want? We want the big one. And so mm. they would have killed off the larger animals. And so eventually they just died out. Like I said, we didn't start our extinction programs in time. Mm. Uh, thanks very much, Linda. This is Truth and Liberty, folks. The number is 719-619-2341. We're going to go to Texas, one of my favorite places, Stacy in Texas. And Stacy is a Karis grad and an AWM partner. We thank you. God bless you, Stacy. And uh, thanks for being a part of Truth and Liberty. Thank you for having me. And you're right. There's no place like Texas. There's a saying that says, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> wow. Hey, by the way, we're going to be doing um, June 19, 20, and 21. We'll be doing one of our Truth for a New Generation apologetics events in Texas, folks. I'll keep you posted. But um, that's going to be in Lindell, Texas, which is not too, too far from Dallas. So, folks, we've got a uh, two pretty significant apologetics conferences in Texas next year. But, Stacy, uh, continue. That's awesome. Looking forward to that. Um, so my question is, often when you're out ministering to people, they love to bring up Matthew 7, verse 1. It's Jesus speaking. It says, judge not that ye be not judged. Verse 2 says, for with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye mate, it shall be measured to you again. And my question is, people love to say, don't judge me, don't judge me. But we're obviously supposed to use some discernment as well. So what's the difference between judgment and discernment? And what is the right way to have that in a Christian believer's life? Wow. If ever there were a question for our times, Carl, that, that's it. Good question. Because I've had the Matthew 7, 1, judge not. I've had yep, that yep. thrown so, so many times. Carl, what, what do you make of these scriptures? Well, I'd also like to add that I'm going to be down in uh, Paluxy, uh, Texas, at uh, the Paluxy River down in Texas for the uh, when they have the eclipse, the solar eclipse. I'm going to be down there speaking for that at uh, the Glen Rose uh, Dinosaur and Fossil Museum down there. So uh, hopefully folks can come for that. It's we, we do a series of videos called Debunked, as I mentioned before. If you download the app, uh, R-F-O-R-H, search for that blue asterisk on a white uh, yeah, black background. And you hit that, you download it, and there's going to be a white tab in there with a paint splotch, a blue paint splotch with a D in it. And I'm looking at it right here because I want to make sure I give you the right number. Go to D10. D10 is, it's always wrong to judge. And so does the Bible tell us not to judge? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> it tells us not to judge, but not to judge, okay? And what I mean by that is to judge people incorrectly, to to make the hypocritical judge, you know, to, to, to look at the speck in somebody else's eye when we got the log in our eye. Yes, that's what God is telling us to do. But we have to make judgments. We have to, when somebody is doing something that's going to, to separate them from God, we have to make a judgment. And, and that's a righteous judgment. God is calling us to make a righteous judgment. And a righteous judgment is going to be in line with what God has taught if we are then pointing out, this is what God is saying, these, these are the standards that we're going to be held accountable for, that is not an incorrect judgment. We have to judge rightly, correctly, yeah. biblically. And so um, 
we have to be careful not to be the hypocrite because look, uh, every time I chuck a stone at somebody, trust me, I got, I got my own feet of clay. But when we're taking a stand on what God's word says and somebody's doing something that's going to separate them from God, that's a righteous judgment, and we're required to do that. Yeah, and Stacy, uh, I've had the Matthew seven one card played uh, so many times. But here, here's the thing: when it says, "With the judgment you measure, it will be measured back to you," um, we are to have a biblical perspective. Now, judgmentalism, like if I said, um, "Who does that Carl Kirby think he is being a Christian? He's not a Christian. I'm a better guy than Carl Kirby is." Uh, we're not supposed to be like that. However, the Word of God most certainly is in a position to assess the spiritual condition of all people. I mean, you read yes. in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul gives this grocery list. Paul says, do not be deceived. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, liars, fornicators, thieves, he lists all of these people that are not saved, and it's unrepentant people. Now, anybody can be saved. A thief, a liar, yes. a fornicator can be born Amen. again. But Luke 13, 3, we've got to repent. So whenever people say that, I'll say, look, um, who am I to judge? You're right, nobody. Alex McFarland, I'm, I'm just a fallen sinner. However, the Word of God and let's remember the Son of God, Jesus, in John 10, 35, Jesus said the Scripture cannot be broken. Guess who affirmed the ironclad trustworthiness of this book? Jesus. And so the Son of God and the Word of God most certainly is in a position to assess the spiritual condition of all people. So I try to put it back on the Word of God and say, look, I'm, yes. not, I'm not saying based on Alex McFarland's perspective, sinners are lost, but God who loves you says you must be born again. Time fleets away. Uh, Carl, I'm having such a great time. Stacy, bless you. Thank you. We're going to go to Tim in Wisconsin. Tim is a Truth and Liberty supporter, and sir, we thank you, and uh, we're glad to have Wisconsin online. What is your question? Hi there, uh, Alex, and hi, Carl. Um, Carl, I know you. You, I just saw you a couple weeks ago at the Milwaukee Museum. Um, yeah. Zoo. <laughs> With the home oh, cool, 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 awesome. You, you know, that a bunch was fun. of my kids. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was good to see you there. Anyway, you partially, you sort of answered my question just a few minutes ago. My question was about glaciers. What did glaciers, what was the, what did glaciers actually do? And is there a lot that was actually done by the flood that was attributed to glaciers? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, again, like we were talking about that after the flood, that was the mechanism which would have caused for the ice buildup for it to to move down as it did. And it did do absolutely it did damage because you can take people up in Wisconsin, your your great state, Michigan, and see the evidence for it. I mean, there's one place at the Wisconsin Dells where you can go down yeah. and actually see the grooves that the glaciers have carved out. And so the evidence is absolutely there that there were glaciers and there was an ice age. But what we would say is that it wasn't multiple, multiple ice ages, which uh, the evolutionary process says uh, actually took place. Uh, we do believe that there was one, and the mechanism that would have caused it would have been uh, the flood. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Carl, I was reading another article. Um, you know, when, whenever there's an evidence for a young Earth versus mm. the millions of years, 
Um, I was reading about in, in the ice of the glaciers around the world, there's certain amounts of ammonia and other mm. elements, and it leads people to believe that the, glacier, the glaciers are just several thousand years old, not millions of years old. But um, before yeah. the time runs out, I want to talk yeah. a little bit about what I think is the most vivid, frankly, shocking evidence of a young earth, a recent creation ever. Mm. But uh, uh, Tim, thank you for your call. First of all, Frank in Missouri. Frank, uh, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Uh, I just wondered if uh, have you heard the story of Ron Wyatt and was the Ark of the Covenant discovered up underneath the, in, in Golgotha's Hill? Great question. I have heard, I, I have heard uh, Ron Wyatt. I never met him personally. I heard his story, heard some of his teaching, and I don't think so. But I can't say with specificity because I just don't know. Um, a lot of things that were claimed didn't I, – I, I just – like I said, man, there were a lot of claims that he made about finding chariot wheels and uh, the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. And boy, how do you just can't – you just can't flesh it out. And I don't like to use stuff that's real speculative because yeah. uh, I don't want to give something to a younger person that's going to take that into a classroom with a teacher that's then going to blow them out of the water. Uh, so so I, I can't say exactly – but I'm skeptical. I'll put it like that. Yeah. And and Frank, let me say this. I love biblical archaeology. In fact, we're working to get um, a great Christian archaeologist on the show here in the next uh, few weeks. Um, but there are so many archaeological discoveries that are just ironclad that yeah. validate time and again. I mean, the uh, there's an evidence of of Joshua at a place called Tel, people say Tel Dan, but it's pronounced Tel Don. There's Capernaum, there's the house of Peter, there's Hezekiah's water tunnel, there's the pool of Siloam, there's the grave yeah, of yeah. Samuel the prophet, there's the house of Caiaphas. And I mean, there's just so much archeology span proving the Bible that is just unquestioned. When we get to things that are sometimes kind of sensationalistic and a little bit speculative, I, I I don't really go there, Carl. I like to stick with the things that are just without argument, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bryant Wood, is uh, he started a ministry, uh, a publication called Bible and Spade, and for BAR, Biblical Archaeological Review, I think they also have wonderful, they do a wonderful job. They lead digs over in Israel. Um, AI, I mean, they did digs at AI. They've done really good stuff, and and I put a whole lot of, trust in what they do. Yeah, exactly. So, Carl, I want to ask you this, and uh, maybe we'll unpack this. Um, not far from where I am tonight in Raleigh, North Carolina, is NC State University. And there is a video from 60 Minutes. There's the BBC as well. Dr. Mary Schweitzer, she's a paleontologist, yeah. and she was um, working with a fossilized uh, dinosaur bone. It's a rock. I mean, it's like a rock. Well, they cut it open, and lo and behold, inside of this fossil that was supposed to be 15 to 16 million years old, there's blood. There's moist, I mean, uh, blood cells. And the bottom line, they were so shocked, they cut open uh, 
300. And my point is this, and I've emailed her and we're trying to get her on the show. And, uh, but she I really said, hope you get her. And, oh, I know. She said to Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes, she said, we're going to have to rewrite everything we thought we knew about science. So Carl, uh, the, the discovery of soft tissue, blood inside rocks, what does this do to the assumption of an old earth? Alex, it's like I was talking about at the beginning, how we found that wood, the petrified log with the wood that was still there. And then I took my bone that I discovered in um, Glendive, Montana. And I made a mistake earlier when I talked about I'm going to be in Texas. I said, I think I said Glendive Dinosaur and Fossil Museum. That's in Montana, where I uh, mm. where we do the dinosaur digs. I took the bone that I found there and I went down to Glen Rose, Texas, and that's where we tested it. And the exact same thing that she found, we found. Now, we didn't do the chemical to decay all the calcification and just leave the blood vessels and all that. She found red blood cells. She found blood vessels. She found tissue. Yeah. This is organic material that observational science says very clearly that organic material cannot last millions of years. It would be gone. And so Mary Schweitzer, I really pray you can get her on uh, your show. I understand yeah. that she's a Christian. I'm not questioning her salvation, but she does not accept the young earth. And uh, she doesn't like people like me using her research to support what I believe very clearly shows that these things can't be millions of years old. So what right. I do in my talk on dinosaurs is I give a direct quote from her. And because she said, and I was looking for it, I was going to try and pull it up so I didn't butcher it. But I'm going to give you the gist of it and you can double check and but it says, look, there's two options. The first one is maybe these things aren't as old as we think they are. And the second option is there's some unknown process by which uh, these things can last for millions of years. Those are the only two options. Well, to be honest with you, I don't think I'm doing her a, a disservice. I just happen to agree right. with her first option that they're yeah, not they're, as they're old not as we think old. they are. Carl, we're so, um, almost out of time. We're going to have to pick okay. this up again, folks. Yeah. Clearly, the subject of creation evolution, the subject of apologetics. Every Christian can be encouraged that our faith is defensible, and I think every Christian should, at least to some degree, get involved in apologetics. Carl Kirby, you've spent decades equipping the church, and you've been gracious with your time tonight. I want to say on so many levels, my dear brother, thank you. No, you bless me and folks that are listening, support this ministry as well. It's very important that we have this type of thing happening. God bless you. Folks, this has been Truth and Liberty. You can watch this show again. You can share this with those around you. Tell your Sunday school, tell your church, tell your neighbor about Truth and Liberty. May God bless you and pray for America. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.